Well, we've been looking at uh, this grand theme of faith. We've talked about the fact that it is transformative, that faith is not something that's static, that it is something that lays hold of us just as we might lay hold of it. And today we want to talk about the fact that it's priceless. And the first evidence of this great excellence of faith is found in creation, as we see here in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 3. We need to take a couple of moments, though, to set it up. So if you'll give me like three or four minutes, there are some things that we should just review as we move through it. And first of all are some disclaimers. Uh, this morning, our purpose is not to really talk about the method of creation We're not going to debate how God went about it. It may be that you're one of those who would um, choose theistic evolution or day-age theory or maybe a a different view of it. And, of course, you're entirely entitled to be wrong in your opinion. (laughs) We are going to look at it from the standpoint of literal days, but it doesn't really affect what we're going to talk about today. Uh, Secondly, we're not demeaning or insulting anyone on the earth today, all right? Whether you're a philosopher or a religious expert or a scientist or if you believe in evolution or if you believe in Hinduism or if you're a secular humanist, uh, our purpose today is not to decry your belief. It's just simply to declare that there is a God who has spoken. And so um, we're saying pretty clearly today that biblical faith is priceless And the first evidence of that is seen in creation, as we will see, that God wants us to place our faith there. Secondly, the context of the passage, and you could see it as the passage was read for us earlier, that this is not written to convince skeptics. God isn't out to prove himself that creation is the proper explanation for origins. He simply is declaring it to be so. He is also declaring that those who don't believe that it's so ought to be alarmed because they are going to one day stand before this great God that we serve. And so the, the passage really is written to Jewish believers who had just undergone some suffering. They had suffered loss of property. They had been reviled and ridiculed for their belief and for their faith. And so in response to that, the writer of Hebrews is beginning this argument, beginning with creation and then working through these uh, series really of, of by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith as he works down through the chapter. And he is declaring the excellencies and the pricelessness of faith. And so that's where we're headed today. Uh, Your faith has been assaulted, the writer is saying, but don't falter, right? Because we are not of those who um, shrink back and are destroyed, but rather of those who have faith and preserve their souls. And so then the writer uh, introduces this issue of faith, beginning with verse 1. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. And we saw last time that there were five features of biblical faith that should encourage us. Number one, it emboldens us, right? Because we're not of those who shrink back. Number two, it exists regardless of of human perception. Number three, faith offers plenty of expression. Uh, In time, it expresses itself in assurance of things to come. Since God was faithful in the past, we can be certain that he'll be faithful in the future and in the awareness of the invisible that is noticed and recognized through the visible that we can see in space that something exists, that it's here, that it's tangible, that it's visible. And that there's meaning behind it and purpose. 
And that purpose, of course, is the invisible. And then it erupts in a joyful commendation. And this really does matter for us because it doesn't make a whole lot of difference if the whole world commends us if God fails to commend us. And so for this faith, uh, the people of old were commended and God always commends those who live in faith in his promise. And then finally, uh, when we talk about faith, it's always important to define our terms. And when we speak about faith, we are not uh, talking about this feel-good, subjective kind of a thing that we see in the Disney movies or on the Hallmark Channel Or at Christmas time when we talk about Santa Claus, well, seeing is believing, and believing is seeing. Well, in part, that's actually the truth, but this is far deeper than that. Uh, It's much uh, more transformative than that, and we cannot allow the world to uh, force us into that shallow characterization that you've got substance when it comes to philosophy or science or any of those things, but faith is like for pathetic people people who don't really get it and don't understand. That is not what God's saying. He's saying exactly the opposite. He is saying that that biblical faith is so transformative, and the reason that it is so transformative is this. The living God has come to indwell human beings. I mean, think about what that means, actually, and how transformative that is, that we have something that no one else in the world has, and that is God the Holy Spirit living within us. That uh, somehow or other, that, that transforms the way we think and perceive and act and live like nothing else on this earth could possibly do. And that's the beauty of the gospel, of course. Faith resurrects dead people, right? Gives us life. We spoke about this, saying about that earlier. It jolts us out of our bondage to futility, and it allows us to see something, and this is the point. Faith allows us to see something that is already there. We're not creating something. It is there for anyone who is willing to look to God, the holy God. It is there for all to see. Maybe some people can't see it, Maybe some people won't see it, but that doesn't mean that it isn't there. And that's the point of Hebrews 11. So as a result, we're going to see today that biblical faith really is utterly priceless. And if we understood it, we would sell everything we have just to have some of that biblical faith. And so would everyone in this world. And so finally, we get to our passage for today, which uh, is that faith is exceedingly excellent. It is priceless to us. It takes off on that theme by calling us back, citing creation as a key incentive to faith. And again, the Lord's not setting out to prove himself because you can't do that. But he does, however, speak the truth into the darkness. And that's where we're headed. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 3 God hits this raw nerve in us to proclaim that he is God, that he is the creator, and we get to answer to him. Here we go. Hebrews 11.3, by faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Well, about 15 years ago or so, uh, we were over at Faith Church and there were big brown and beige colored stained glass windows that were part of the tower. And they were kind of unattractive, and they were very inefficient. And so uh, some of the men got together, and we were going to put nice, clear 
panes of glass in. We began to do that. But these were old windows, I've got to tell you. And they had steel frames. And so as you tried to get the stained glass out from those uh, steel frames, uh, some of the windows cracked and splintered and the pieces fell down on the grass down below the tower. And it was quite a mess. And so we had a couple of guys that were down there picking up those little tiny pieces of glass because we do have vacation Bible school and other things that take place outside in the grass. And we didn't want the kids to be messing around in the glass. Well, my son was one of those who was bending down, picking up those little pieces of brownish, beige-colored stained glass and putting them in the trash can. And after a while, he uh, said, Dad, um, you know, my, my hand hurts. And I'm like, yeah, sure it hurts. You're just one of those people who are trying to avoid physical labor. And so I said, get back to work. So he worked for a little bit while, and he kept complaining, and finally we were all finished. We got home, and he was still complaining. I'm like, okay, you know, I looked at his hand, looked at the palm of his hand right here in the fleshy part, and and I'm like, Simon, there's nothing there. He's like, yeah, Dad, there really is something there. It, It just really hurts. And so as I commended myself for my great fathering skills, I simply dismissed it, right? Just assuming that uh, there really was no reason to continue to look at it or to work through it. And then I uh, poked around a little bit. I got a needle and, you know, just to see maybe he had a little sliver or whatever in there. And I discovered that there actually was something there. It was about the size of a piece of rice coal. I don't know. It's pretty good size. And so we were poking around, and I'm like, whoa, whatever it is, it's not hard, it's not uh, soft and fleshy like, like the palm of, like the muscle in your hand. It's not that. And I'm like, whoa, you know, it, it's like something that's brown and beige colored, <laughs> very much like the windows at the church, but it was exactly the same color of his skin, and you couldn't see it, but it was there. And so we realized there was this big chunk of stained glass that uh, would stuck in his palm. And now after the fact, I'm pretty sure that that thing really did hurt. Well, the problem is he knew it, but I didn't. The problem was that he was right about it, but I wasn't. And so I told him, grit your teeth, you know, and did the fatherly thing and grabbed the palm of that hand and just squeezed it really, really hard. And the thing came popping out, bounced around the house. No, it didn't really bounce around the house. But it was a piece of glass that was stuck in the palm of his hand, and he was absolutely right about it. Everything was fine from that point on, except we took it apart. We had, you know, put whatever we had put in, methylate or whatever you put in a wound, and we took care of it. But everything was all right, except the fact that I had been dull and clueless about the whole thing. So the uh, bottom line was my son clearly had apprehended some things that his father had refused to perceive. It was there. I just didn't see it. Well, that's exactly what we're reading about in Hebrews 11. Something's going on here where the obvious is being stated. God is saying, I created the heavens and the earth. It's obvious. It's evident whether you can see it or perceive it is irrelevant. I did it. 
The author of Hebrews is saying to the Jewish believers who had suffered reproach and had suffered loss, don't fail to, to apprehend the priceless nature and the value of this biblical faith. And so we're looking today at three proclamations of biblical faith. That's what they are. They're just proclamations. Uh, God is not making proofs. They're not offering proofs. He's just essentially saying, I'm the only one who was there. And I do know what happened way back in creation. The first proclamation is this. The universe was created by the God who exists. It was created by the God who exists. Verse 3, by faith we understand, we perceive that the universe was created. The uh, witness of the natural world does tell us some things about creation. It does not tell us everything about creation. For that we need the Spirit of God as He bears witness in our hearts, in, his, uh, in our experience, and takes us beyond the natural into a relationship with God. And so verse 3 begins with that little phrase, by faith. It's the first in a series in Hebrews 11, as we'll see. But it's very different from the other ones. This one in particular is suggesting that faith matters because it takes us beyond information, beyond data, and it actually is the overflow of the life of God that's inside of a human being by faith. And so the first discovery is that faith is the engine of sight. That when you have the faith of God, when God the Spirit is active and working in your life, something happens. You see things that you never see, uh, have seen before. You apprehend what was not something that you could notice before. And so faith, uh, it really the ultimate question when it comes to faith and when we look at all of, of creation is not so much what, it's not even why. Faith drives us to the who. And that's the beauty of biblical faith. It's not really complicated. I mean, if in the normal world you look over and you see a painting, a painting, a thing hanging on the wall, right? You can look at that thing. You can appreciate it. You can observe it. Uh, you can take it down. You can look at the, th for this, it would be the threads and the colors and the inks, and you can evaluate all of those things. You're thinking about what it is. You can ask why it's there, right? Why did we hang it there? That's obvious why we were hanging some of those banners. But the real question is, at some point you get to the point, you say, well, who did it, right? If it's a beautiful painting, it isn't enough to just ask what or why. There's something in the human soul that says who. Well, faith is the overflow of the human soul that asks that question and moves us beyond the, the what and the why, and it moves us to the who. So by faith, the who is that there's a God. And this God is a God who is willing to take initiative towards us. And he is a God who exists and creates and who speaks and who acts. So by faith. By faith what? Well, faith does something, right? Causes us to understand. By faith, we understand. Ken Wiest has said in his word studies of the New Testament that the, in the New Testament, understand never refers simply to the mere act of physical brain activity. That there's always something deeper going on when the Bible uses that word understood. And so, for example, I can take my iPad and I can use my iPad to process data. But that iPad will never comprehend that there is a God. And it will never draw near to God because it is a thing and it is not something that can choose faith. And so faith is very priceless. And so what it does is, is it finally allows us as human beings to be honest about God. 
That there is a God in heaven. That he has spoken. That he has engaged us. That he exists. That he rewards those who diligently seek him. And so by faith, by faith we understand. We understand that there is a hue. A who rather. And so what do we understand specifically? Well, that the universe was created by this God. And it involves a whole lot more than just physical matter. There's something bigger. There's something more expansive. And uh, the, the whole idea of that word itself suggests that there is something more expansive and more uh, uh, enlarges our understanding to include human experience and all that is part of it, that we're not simply machines. We're something bigger than that. We're not just biological, but that we were created in the image of God, which we sang about earlier today. Actually, Linda, that was a lo- it's been a long time since I've heard that song, right? The image of God, that we are image bearers, that there's something distinct and different about us. And so we understand that the universe was created by the word of God. And then fi- that's the fourth point. It was created. That there are just some things that cannot be known by touch and sight and taste and feel. Some things uh, really takes more for us to understand. And someone was right when they made this point. They said there is more to the universe than just dirt. They're right. There's more to this universe than just dirt. So let's be honest about one thing. Just as a little bit of a sidelight as we think about creation, it is this, the origin of the universe is not settled. I mean, every year someone comes out with something new that changes it, it shifts it just a little bit. So every year year science changes its mind about what's going on in the universe. And uh, there's always a new theory or a new explanation And it is okay to ask, why is that? It's more than just an increase of knowledge. There is something else that's going on. And I think that it's time, it's fair to ask some questions when it comes to the universe and to origins and to creation. And these are the questions. Why can't God be included in the conversation? I would like to know who decided that we can talk about any opinion, any idea, any thoughts, any new stuff, but... We're not going to include God in that conversation. It's a fair question, right? Somebody said, nope, no more God talk. We're only going to go in one direction. And so why is God canceled, right? Any other voice, any other opinion is acceptable, and we're glad to talk about it, except not the living God. I want to know who decided that. Who made that decision? Because it certainly wasn't God. And they can try all they want to, to silence the voice of God in this universe. But the universe is not going to be silent. In fact, the heavens are continuing, going to continue rather, to declare the glory of God forever. I don't know how you feel, but I find some divine humor in that. That you can argue against it all you want to, but the heavens are just going to keep right on declaring the glory of God. Way back when Mikey was just, I mean, little, maybe four or five, we were down at the beach and they have the rides down at the beach. And uh, the one was the fire truck ride. And he loved that thing. And he'd just get in that. It just goes round and round and round and round and round. But that's not why kids love the fire uh, truck ride. They love it because on the front of the fire truck is this bell. And there's a rope that goes from the bell through the front seat to the back seat. And you can sit there, go round and round and round and round and just ring that bell and ring that bell and ring that bell and ring that bell. And he loved it. 
And so the one time he waited, he finally got on and this uh, little girl got in the seat behind him. And so there's the rope that goes from the bell through Michael's seat to her seat and off they went. Well, as the ride progressed, the little girl in the back seat was getting pretty ticked off at Michael because she was just yanking on that rope, wanting that bell to ring. But Michael had the front seat. So all he had to do is lean up there and hold on to the bell and do whatever he wanted. And as they went round and round and round, Mikey's sitting there and it was like it was yesterday. He just sits there, he turns around and he looks at her and he just goes (laughs) all the way around. Well, I find humor in the fact that God is not going to be silenced and the universe is not going to be silenced. We can go round and round and round and round, but the heavens are going to declare the glory of God. So why is it that there is such a ruckus about creation? Well, the problem is that there really is a higher authority when it comes to origins. There's a higher accountability when it comes to this universe. There's a higher moral court. And it is this, God has spoken. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And ever since that time, the creation just keeps right on telling everybody who's willing to listen that there is a God who is the creator. Now we could go through some of the reasons why it's so hard for people on this earth to comprehend and to accept it. Certainly the devil, right? He's a liar. The God of this world has blinded the minds of those who um, do not believe those so that they can't see. There's the human heart, right? That rebels against God. And there is the world that hates God. And that's not going to change. But the question I come away with is, who is it that ought to be pitied when it comes to misinformation about the creation of the universe? It's not those who by faith have put their hope in Christ. So faith is priceless. Number one, the universe was created by the God who exists. Number two, The universe was created by God's spoken word. It was created by God's spoken word. The word there is rhema. It means to command, to give an order, or just simply to declare. That's the way it is. There's no debate. It's settled. The universe was created by the word of God. Well, my son has a a favorite expression And if you're wondering which son it is, it would be that same son who had the glass stuck in the palm of his hand. And uh, he thinks it's funny. I'm not so sure. But I'll be sitting on the deck and I'll say, you know what? I really should get up off this nice, comfortable chair and go mow the lawn. And he'll look over at me and say, Dad, you got the talking part done. I get it. Or I'll be sitting there and I think, you know, I, I, I really should get up and uh, read a book instead of watching TV. And he'll look over and he'll say, well, Dad, you got the talking part done. That's the way it is with human beings. We can talk and nothing happens. But that's not the way it is with God. When God speaks, something always happens. God's voice is is effectual. It causes stuff to occur. It causes stuff to happen. God speaks and it happens. For example, God speaks and the universe erupts into existence. God said, Genesis 3, verse 3, let there be light and there was light. He didn't call in for troops or help. It just was there. Let there be light. There was light. The invisible 
became visible. Or, well, it was the first day, the second day it was going to become visible. But there was light on the first day. God speaks to sinners and they are forgiven and redeemed and exalted. For this same God who said, let light shine out of the darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. God speaks, people get saved. It's that simple. It's an amazing thing. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God. And Ramah speaks, the word of God speaks of this massive instant action which accompanies God's voice. God speaks, it was so. And so, at least in three ways, we know that the voice of God is active and effectual, that his voice is a command, that things happen when he speaks. The first is that it accomplishes things. Uh, Psalm 33, we read this, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made by the breath of his mouth, all of their hosts. The result is let all the earth fear the Lord. Let the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. Why? Because he spoke and it came into being. He commanded and it stood firm. It brings all things into being. Here in Hebrews chapter 11 verse 3. By faith we understand that the whole universe was created by the word of God. Incredible. And then finally God's word is not merely expressive. It's intensely effectual. We read about that at the beginning of the book of Hebrews long ago. At many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. We're talking about a God who speaks and the whole universe pops into existence. He will speak in the future and he will judge the living and the dead. It matters. Faith is priceless. The assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, God speaks and it happens. Now, this is an astonishing claim. This is a very astonishing claim, which is why most people in the world can't quite handle it, that God spoke and the universe came into existence. And when you hear that claim, there should be something in you that says, wait, what? God spoke and all this massive universe with its just infinite, infinite going up farther and farther and its intricate detail as far as, as the micro world, God spoke and that's how it came to being. And if you react that way, then you get Hebrews 11. Then you understand it. Because this is exactly what it's saying. It is saying, look around. All the visible stuff that you see, guess what? That's reflective of God. That tells us something about God. It tells me that God is so immense and so infinite that I can't even comprehend him. No way to comprehend him. So let's not miss the urgency of it. Let's not miss the weight of God's speaking voice, not only when it comes to creation, but more importantly, when it comes to the gospel, right? That there's something about God's voice that needs to be responded to when it comes to the gospel. And we read about it in chapter two of Ephesians. You were at one point children of wrath, but 
Something took place. God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, made us alive together in Christ. By grace you have been saved. How? Through faith. This faith is a priceless thing. And it shows itself initially in the creation of the universe, but it shows itself secondly in the gospel. It's a magnificent thing. Three proclamations of faith in creation. Number one, the universe was created by the God who exists. Number two, the universe was created by God's spoken word. That is that he is a God of immense power, of infinite omnipotence. This is the God who creates. And the third proclamation is the universe was intended to cause wonder in our hearts toward the unseen God who acts on our behalf. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God. So that purpose clause, what is seen was not made out of what uh, things that are visible. I read a funny story in one of the commentaries. Uh, He said that it's a well-known story, but I'd never heard of it before. So I'm going to do it now. It's a funny story. It's a good story. He says this, one day a group of uh, scientists got together and uh, decided that they no longer needed God. And so they picked one of the scientists to go and tell God so. And so this scientist went to the Lord and he said, you know, we've decided we don't need you anymore. We can cure diseases. We can clone people. We can even create life now. All of these wonderful things. So please go away. And so God listened to him for a minute and said to the man very well, but first let's, let's get some proof going. Let's uh, have this man-making contest, and we'll see how it goes. And so the uh, scientist says, sure, no problem, we can do that. And so the scientist bent down, picked up some dirt from the ground. He's going to begin to create life, to which God responded and said, oh, no, you don't. Go get your own dirt. Well, it's a funny story, but it does make the point That when God acts, he acts in a way that ought to cause wonder in our heart and in our soul. In verse 3, we see this distinction. It's this visible, invisible distinction. Uh, It is a distinction that might mean a number of different things, but it at least means these three. Number one, that God's invisible voice brought into being that which was visible, and that's certainly true. It could mean also that the creation is by God, who is only perceived by faith because we can't see the living God. That is true. And number three, that God's creative initiative must include faith in order to be fully apprehended, and that's true too. So maybe it's all three. But the purpose that so that is to remind us that there is an invisible that God really does exist. And this claim always produces a crisis. And this is the reason why God has been worked out of the conversation. Not because he's not a legitimate part of it, but rather because it, it forces this crisis. This visible, invisible distinction really does force a reaction and even a choice. And there are two reactions to this speaking God. Number one is to deny him. To deny him, and the result of that is wrath for all of your efforts and for for all of your denials. You get wrath. That's not a very good option, but it's a legitimate option. It is the option that God declares, Romans chapter 1. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. 
suppress the truth about him, about God. That's where the truth is being suppressed. Deliberate unbelief. Because, verse 19, what can be known about God is plain to them. The visible does make the invisible rational and reasonable. Because God has shown it to them for his invisible attributes. Namely, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that are visible in the things that have been made. So that's the one option. In contrast, option number two is we can embrace him. And the result of that is confidence. Verse three, so by faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what was seen was not made out of things that are visible. This immense God, in other words, is for us. And so these Jewish believers in the first century must have been very encouraged as they thought through that, as they worked through it, to understand that this great, majestic, sovereign, holy, immense God, not only did he create the heavens and the earth, he also is the God who sustains and keeps and protects and ultimately translates all of his people to glory. Three proclamations of faith in creation. Number one, it was created. And it was created by God. Number two, it was created by a spoken word. He just spoke. There's something about that that should just cause us to say, wait a minute, I can't do that. Which, of course, we can't. And then number three, the universe was intended to cause wonder in our hearts toward the unseen God who acts on our behalf. Therefore, let us offer to God acceptable worship and reverence. By faith, we understand. And that is the reason why it is a priceless possession. Now, as we think about why it matters, there are three reasons why it matters. The first reason is that to stand for the witness of scripture costs in every generation. And we need to understand that whether we like it or not, standing for the creation account in scripture really is our calling. And it really is going to cause us to be reviled and ridiculed and even pitied. But we're not the ones who ought to worry about pity, right? We're not the ones who deserve or need the pity. We are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed. So number one, witness of scripture in any generation is going to be costly. Number two, faith stands in ultimate triumph. Think about this little fact. The day will come when every single human being who has ever lived on this planet is going to be a creationist. Everyone, everyone is going to believe in creation someday. So we can get a head start on that and we can rejoice in that. And that's one of the reasons that faith is so very priceless to us. Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess, everyone is going to be a creationist one day. How cool is that? And then number three, on that day when everyone is a creationist and the whole world and the whole universe is bowing its knee to the Lord of glory, will it matter which voice I listened to while I was on this earth? So if you're a young person in particular and you've been taught from the day you went to school that creationism is a hoax and there is no God, you need to ask yourself whose voice it is that's saying that. And you need to ask yourself if there's not a greater voice 
The voice of the living God who says pretty boldly, pretty plainly, by faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. Important stuff. It really does matter. Well, as we close, maybe you recall 1 Peter chapter 1. Verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. He finishes up that paragraph by saying, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. Why? So that the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold, which perishes, though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. It really does matter whether or not we have this priceless faith. So regarding creation, for those who have not yet been transformed by the power of God into this priceless faith for those who aren't quite ready, willing to believe in the creation account. Hebrews 11 probably feels a whole lot like that piece of stained glass that was in my son's hand. All right, you can pretend it's not there. You can deny it. uh, You can excuse it away, but you still kind of know that it's there. And that's the case for those who do not believe. But for those who have discovered the glory of biblical faith, like these Jewish Christians in the first century, ours is a faith that is priceless, utterly priceless. So we can say with confidence, don't pity us. (laughs) Don't pity me, right? We're not the ones to be pitied. We don't shrink back. Rather, we triumph in faith. Because without faith, it's impossible to please God because whoever would, uh, would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he is really a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Let's bow together, shall we, as we pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for this priceless, transforming, glorious grace. Thank you so much for allowing us to be part of your great purposes throughout all generations, throughout all this universe. We praise you in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen.